These are the target files. Discussing the novelizations and audiobooks of classic and now also new series Doctor Who stories. Looking through the eyes of adulthood at our childhood memories. After all, a great Time Lord once said, there's no point in being grown up if you can't be childish some of the time. Hello faithful listeners, welcome to Doctor Who and the Target Files, episode 92. This is Mike in Swansea. And this is Lee eating a biscuit in Swansea as well. Hooray! So this time we are discussing the first Doctor story, the Aztecs. Aztecs? (laughs) (laughs) The Aztecs camera. Aztecs camera, way great band. The Aztecs, written by John Lucarotti, novelised from his TV script of 1964 in 1984. Lee, couple of initial thoughts on this uh, novel of the first Doctor story. Fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Loved, I loved the first Doctor. I know they had a lot of constraints when it was first came to TV. You know, being in, a, in that small studio in Lime Grove, but there is something wonderful about William Hartnell. Some of the other Doctors don't have. I wouldn't criticise any of them. I know there's still some episodes missing from Hartnell's era, but yes, Aztec, what a great story. Your thoughts? Yeah, for me it's setting up quite a few themes which have carried on through 55 years, really. Um, The idea about changing timelines, you know, that's come up a lot. The actual line that I think Tennant quoted, you can't rewrite history one line. One thing that the Hartnell era has which every other one doesn't really have is I know when they first came up with the idea of Doctor Who it it was going to be something to bridge between what was Grandstand and Jukebox Jury was it I think so but it also was supposed to be educational this story you can really tell it was educational because I'm going to be honest I didn't really know that much about the Aztecs and when they kept mentioning Cortez it did make me go Hang on, there's a Neil Young song called Cortez the Killer. And I went back and listened to it going, ah, that's what that song's about. So maybe Neil Young was a fan of Doctor Who. Yeah. Not that he would have seen these episodes in the 60s. Uh, well, when was that song written? That song would have been written in the 70s, so yeah, he could have been. Yeah, not sure if the Hartnell episodes were shown in the States there. Let us know, folks, US listeners, at yeah. DW Target Files. One thing I want to know is, do you actually know anyone that's watched any of the Hartnell eras on on first airing I know people have watched the Troughton ones but I've never met anyone that says oh I watched the Hartnells when they first came on only thing that springs to mind is Russell T Davis a biography of him Yeah, saying that his first memory is the regeneration Hartnell to Troughton and I think he was about three and a half then because he was born the year Doctor Who started but no I haven't met anybody who um, 
you know, has admitted that they've seen it from then, but I've read people on forums who, who were there at the time and they have memories of various missing episodes. I'm a big fan of Frank Skinner and he has talked about loving Doctor Who since it first started. So I'm assuming he's... If anyone hasn't listened to his radio show, you can guarantee that every week he will some point mention Doctor Who. Usually, what big Finnish story he's listening to in the car that week. He's coming up to 60 now, isn't he? Or he well, will he's be past soon. six. He's, he's past over 60. Yes. He was late 50s, so he would have been five or six, maybe seven when the series started. Yeah. We're getting old. <laughs> yeah, I know. What, the comedians that we grew up loving as teens have gone, yep, they're nearly dead now. <laughs> Which I hope not. I love Frank. Apologies, Frank, if you listen, as you're a fan. Yeah, sorry, Frank. <laughs> I love you. Go on tour again. I want to see you again. And can I steal a joke that um, when I went to Power of the Daleks animation screening with a friend a few years back, uh, Frank Skinner ended up talking about William Hartnell, and he said, um, when you know William Hartnell's mind was failing, you know, you got to accept this humour, and we will joke about most things on this podcast, folks, but don't take it personally. He said he likened, he said, once you get to the end of the Hartnell era and you know he's about to uh, embark on quite a long speech in the role, it's almost like watching an elderly waiter in a restaurant with a with a whole tray a tray full of uh, food and you're egging him on to get through it. So, uh, <laughs> In the new era, I know they've had a lot of guest stars, but Frank Skinner was one of the few celebrity guests that they had on, which I really wanted them to bring back. Because what was the character's name? Perkins, he Perkins. was in Mummy on the Orient Express. Yes. Season 9. The Capaldi era. Yeah, yes. he was. Uh, in fact, that was... Totally one. wasn't as, as I was expecting him to be when I heard he was announced. I thought he'd be more of a wacky character, but he was very restrained, wasn't he? Laid back. And he was a really interesting character. He was going, okay, there's more to your backstory than you're letting on. And I think coming up against you know, he's he's a stand-up comedian. He didn't start out as an actor, but the scenes he does with Capaldi, I really, really enjoy. Yeah, there's that lovely moment when Capaldi asks him to travel in the TARDIS, and he just he he waits a moment, doesn't he, before answering? And you think, yeah, go on, Frank, go on. I remember sitting there watching that and just going, come on, come on, please say yes, please say yes. No, oh, no, damn balls. Anyway, uh, Aztecs, we had complaints about going off topic. Character-wise, um, looking at the Doctor, um, he's got quite a lot to his character in this, isn't he? He sort of stays in the background a bit, as Hartnell quite often did with these big TARDIS teams. Um, there's a bit of a love story, maybe, with, is it... Is it more sort of Can't. flirtation to you, or is it full-on, you know, there's, there's general... Genuine I think, affection there. I, I think there's genuine affection there. There's, there's, there's care. I don't know whether it would be a romantic relationship, but with this story being more educational... There wasn't really a bad guy. No. There was, it was just, this is, you know, a representation of what the Aztecs would have been like. One thing I do enjoy at the beginning of the story, which you don't get in the audiobook, but you do get in the actual show, is Barbara starts out as a grave robber. And as they go on, they talk about the door. The door can only be opened from the inside. It's to stop grave robbers. Like, yep. No need to worry about that because Barbara's already rinsed that. <laughs> yeah, and she's a con artist. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, 
I can't take my eyes off Jackie Hill when I watch the old episodes. I think she's amazingly beautiful in black and white. And it, I think there's some like convention footage from the mid '80s because she died of cancer quite young when she was about 1993. She'd been gone that long. Yeah, it's convention footage of her in the mid '80s, and she's still very beautiful then. You know, in the '40s then. Yeah, because she wouldn't have been. Because how old was she? Have been mid mid to late twenties when this first aired. Possibly moving up towards thirty. I'm not sure. I think it was she's around about fifty three, fifty four when she oh, died. So she's so. Been, yeah, relatively yeah. young. We consider Bill Russell still with us. So uh, yes, who on the audio version of this was brilliant. He, I love William Russell. I love his voice. He's got that sort of grandpa voice now, which you yeah. just think he's going to offer you a word as original yeah. when he tells you a story. And I love the cadence he gets of Hartnell. It's it's spot. It's spot on you believe that he's yeah. he's channeling William Hartnell one thing we'll say about the TV show is what's with that costume <laughs> I know they had a they had a limited budget but they're loincloths <laughs> Ian's costume it looked like he was going to pride <laughs> it really did you know. maybe that's where it was invented in Mexico what gay pride yeah Maybe. That's very popular in South America, you know, Rio's the biggest one. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we talk about <laughs> we were we were talking about Aztec. Yeah. Let me let me digress uh, for one thing, for one moment. The beginning of the first episode, because we haven't really talked about the book yet. No. <laughs> um do you think even in 1964 they watched, looked at that TARDIS disappearing and thought, wow, that looks realistic? Because that's clearly a tiny model. Yeah, they say that on the um, this commentary. William Russell and Caroline Ford are on the commentary. And they say that, and you know, Caroline Ford says, oh, that looks really good. <laughs> I was a little bit uh, surprised at that. But uh, what they could do at the time on that budget. Yeah, I, I guess. But, but I just think pencil sharpener for some reason. I think must have seen TARDIS pencil sharpener in the past. Do you remember the... Mark Gatiss, D- uh, David Williams sketches. It reminds me like something out of that. Yeah, of very much of going. This is going to start off as a joke. I haven't. I do, have never seen the documentaries that are on the DVDs. I yeah. own the digital downloads, which unfortunately right. you don't get all of the extras. You don't get the commentary, which is it's the one thing that I hate about digital downloads. You don't get everything that you get on the discs. I'm still not going to buy discs because I don't want them cluttering up my house. Novelisation of of the Aztecs. We've took we've rambled on about the actual episode enough, or rather, I've rambled on about it. How do you think it translated to target novel? I think he's expanded on it well. Um, definitely keeps your interest throughout. It's been a, quite a few years. I think I read this one when I was a bit younger, but um, I don't have the copy anymore. But we'll go on to say William Russell really elevates it later on. Um, yeah, I've got to. I've got to agree. I really enjoy the TV show, but the book really expands, and it also takes it in a way which away from the TV show, but but not so far in which um, you, it's unrecognizable. Like you said, the beginning part where Barbara's robbing the grave, you don't get that. It's it's read very seriously, but not in a way which makes it boring. I actually sat and I listened to this from beginning to end in one sitting. It was that good. I think a lot of it has has to do with um, William Russell's reading of it, but John Lucarotti's writing, because it must be hard to go back, because 
did you, when did you say this came out as a novel? 20 years after, nearly. Mm. 1984 yeah. from 1964, yeah. when broadcast. In 84, he wouldn't have had access to the actual show again, would he? few of these episodes were missing, but teleprints were made for sale overseas, and that's how they survived now, and they came back. Mm. So they obviously came back from Hong Kong or Singapore, but I'm not sure if they were discovered by that point. In which case, it must be hard to go back and try and remember how you wrote something 20 years after. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember what I've written 20 minutes after. <laughs> I can't remember what I need to go, go upstairs for. Like, why am I here? All I did right. find some old essays from college, which is 20 years ago for me now, and believe me, I just thought, you little pretentious so-and-so. <laughs> Characterizations. How do you think the Aztecs came across in this? Do you think they were one-dimensional? or Because, as I said earlier, this... There's no central bad guy in this. It's very much we've we visited the Aztec world, not Aztec world. This isn't this isn't Westworld. <laughs> One dimensional. I think you can label that at some of them, but it kind of serves this story in a way. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I would. Um, because they are, I suppose they are advanced civilization in some ways for that time, but they're also primitive. Because they have that idea of religion, you know, I'm not a fan of religion, I've said it before on this podcast. Yes, I mean, obviously, a lot of the a lot of the plot, it was self-serving for the Aztecs, of it served their purpose, especially the leader. Uh, Latoxel. Yeah, Latoxel, who, who knew that they weren't gods, but it served his purpose to let people think that he was. So I thought, I didn't think he was a one-dimensional character. I, he was more so in the in the TV episode than he was in the book, but I think that's down to William Russell's marvelous reading of it. And I, I just have to say, whoever was the director, he did a fantastic job of the of the audio book. Yeah, because oh, the director of the audio book, the or, sure. of the audio book, because the sound effects that they used, the music that they put put in the background, which doesn't come from the the episodes was brilliant it really drew you into the story like you said I sat through this in one go it was so good and that was down to William Russell and it was down to the director just cut it off at that point I know the more recent ones are a guy called Simon Power who does the sound editing in the more recent releases I think this is like 2012 or maybe 2014 but the more recent ones they've got this sort of weirdly camp medieval tune that they put at the beginning and end of every uh, every story this it, it didn't have that. It had you know the sounds of uh, symbols and it's yeah. That sort Although of they sing sound. Do they have crickets in South America? I think so. Let us know, folks. DW Target Files. Yes. No, uh, let us know on Twitter and Facebook. Follow, follow us on the Facebook group, Doctor Who: The Target Files. And then we have the tension as well, of course, don't we, Exler and Ian? Changed slightly in the book, the death scene. Spoilers, folks, for something that's fifty years old. Yeah. But, um Ian actually uses the Doctor's torch to shine in his eyes and he falls off the pyramid, isn't it, at the end? Yeah. Uh, Susan-wise, yeah, she does take a back seat. We know Carol Ann Ford was on holiday. How do you feel they dealt with that? I suppose in terms of the new team as well, because Chibnall's gone back to that crowded TARDIS team. And I just want to do a comparison. How do you think he would manage a story like this? Given he'd be restricted to maybe 45 minutes, or would it be a two-part, do you think, if something like this... I, was written nowadays. I, I'm not a big fan of Chris Chibnall's writing. Um, I've said this to you many times when we've chatted. Could you imagine trying to do a Doctor Who, um, Who episode now in a very small small space that's not bigger than most people's lounges? Mm. You know, 
they've got this directors today and especially the showrunners have got these you know they've got big much bigger budgets they've got a greater area to work from they I think how many outdoor shoots they do and then asking someone to go oh right by the way you've got to do it all in this one studio I suppose depending on the story you know like Midnight David Tennant a year ago over 10 years ago though now that was pretty much a constrained set wasn't it because it's a claustrophobic story anyway because we're stuck in one one sort of space shuttle for the whole episode that's one thing they don't do anymore is is just set it in one place take something like Reservoir Dogs which essentially takes place in in a warehouse you really don't get that with TV shows anymore it's like this is how much money we've got. We can do outside shoots. We've got X amount of money for, you know, CGI budget. So I kind of miss that. I miss something that's very much story driven. Yeah. Which the Aztec is very story driven. Would you say it's character driven as well? Well, as you said, some of the characters are a bit one dimensional. Mm. But we've discussed that's because they're a primitive culture, advanced for the time, maybe. Yeah. Bit of both, really. More sort of historically driven, maybe. Yeah, same as was it the Cavemen episode? What was that episode called? Where they went back? To An Earthly pre- Child, the first one. The Cave of Skulls is, I think that's the second episode. Yeah, the second episode. Yeah. With I know digressing a bit here, but with something like that, how how do you make fully formed characters out that would be like right? What's fire? Yeah. What's the wheel? You should. Hug. Yeah. Hartnell maybe smashing someone over the head with a skull, which would have changed the whole outlook of the show. Yes. <laughs> Moving towards the end of the story, what do you make of the conversation between the Doctor and Barbara? You know, she wants to have changed things, but he says, you know, it's enough to her to change one man. You know, do you think that came across pretty well? The whole moral dilemma of it? I did like the moral dilemma, the whole idea of, I mean, how, how many times have you heard this conversation? If you could go back and kill Hitler... Would you do it? Yeah. I said, well, yeah, I liked I liked the way in which he he did come across of going, no, you can't change this thing. This is how it plays out, which is very good. Whereas now, now, now these days, they just like, right, we're just going to change it anyway. We're going to stop these things. We'll have an alternate timeline. Yeah. Every show going. That's that's getting a little bit passe now, isn't it? Of just going, oh, we're just going to show you an alternative timeline. So, no, you, it's just lazy. It's lazy writing. Back to the Future 2 was 30 years ago, folks. Come on. <laughs> Never be bettered. <laughs> no. No. Actually, no, it wouldn't. Even though... Do you still watch that now? Can you still watch Back to the Future 2 now? Yeah. I haven't actually probably since... I did a very sad thing, folks, because I'm a very big Back to the Future fan. They did all three uh, films in the cinema on the future day, wasn't it? The day he yeah. comes back, the 21st of October, isn't it? In uh, 2015, for real. And the first one was the only one I hadn't seen in the cinema, so I just went in and watched the first one and then came home. Because what I wanted to do, folks, knowing there's an eight-hour time difference between here and California, people had worked out online, if I started it at a certain minute, which is like 11.58 over here, my DVD copy or my Blu-ray copy would have actually coincide with when they land in the future at that point in history. And I did it. Hey, nice. <laughs> That's the most geekiest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. I, I, remember, I remember you actually asking me to come along to that and I just thought, nope, I've seen all three of them in the cinema, I don't want to do it again. You lucky man. Although, <laughs> I, I actually didn't see Back to the Future until about six months before the second one came out. It just—it's just something that never played. I actually owned the, the Panini sticker album yeah. before I saw the film. I didn't like the film that much the first time I saw it because a VHS shop down the road had it, 
probably I saw it around about 86, 87 first of all. But then the BBC had it as a premiere on Christmas Day in 88. And I recorded it and wore the copy out, <laughs> probably. Actually, Back to the Future 2, I wore the copy out. Yeah. Even to the point of when the tape broke, I used masking tape to tape it back together, which probably not the best thing to use on a videotape. So then I could just wind it back, and I knew when it when the tape was going to break, I'd just stop it and wind it back, so I didn't have to go through the masking tape bit. So we did talk about the ending first, sorry. Um, so just would you say pretty satisfactory? Ties things up nicely. It's a bit melancholy feeling, isn't it? Knowing mm. that things had to play out as they would. It was a great story all round. Let's be honest. If I had to give this a score, let's just go for the score bit. I'm going to give this an 8. No, I'm going to give it a 9. I think maybe 8.5 for me, somewhere between the two. Well, I say the book and the audiobook are probably better now, because they've they got more of a background to them. It's more thoroughly looked into by Luca Rotti. Between 8 and 9, so 8.5, and maybe 8 for the TV show. I'll, I'll agree with you that. I'll, I'll give you an 8. I'll give you a poem again. Hey, going back to that now. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> The covers. Yeah, yes. you see the first one. The first cover in 1984 was by Nick Spender did the first one. I was thinking of Jimmy Neal, Spender. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the same cover as the audiobook. The face paint on, is that Ixta, the one who fights with Ian? I think it is. It really puts me in mind of sort of Mad Max or The Warriors, those sorts of movies. One thing about this this cover I wouldn't say that I don't like is the fact his hair looks like a hat my mum owns <laughs> Dennis the Menace yes good bit of face makeup I do like the way the TARDIS is sort of quite subtly drawn in there with a the light going on off on the top this isn't the cover that I've got on my book I've got the later one okay is that the one we just saw with Hartnell is it or because there's the audiobook cover as well that's the audiobook cover which is obviously the original cover TARDIS more prominent there yeah, obviously they've just cropped it, so it, he's closer. Yeah, sort of a bit more maybe photorealism in the face in that one. I think someone's given it a nice little sheen. I like the skull in the background. Got the pyramid as well. Yes. And then we go to Andrew Skeletor, the Aztecs. 1992 uh, reprint. Sylvester McCoy logo and the Starfield, which they always seem to do in a black ribbon. Based on a Doctor Who adventure first broadcast in 1964. Pencil drawn, would you say, Hartnell? I'd say that is a pencil drawn Hartnell. In the one, pyramid, which reminds me of the Five Doctors when he gets scooped up by yeah. the uh, triangle. Although one thing I will say about the pyramid, it looks more like an Egyptian pyramid than an Aztec pyramid. He's Very true, in. you haven't really got the hut on top, have you? No. Was there a specific name for those huts on top of those pyramids? or no, Huts? Hut. <laughs> Let's just call them a hut. I'm not, you know, I'm not Jabba. that good. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have Latoxil uh, down the bottom. Wearing what looks like a belt on his forehead. Yes. <laughs> it's a, no, it's a Dalek, uh, Dalek casing. <laughs> he looks like something that Percy from Blackadder would wear. I thought you were going to say Pertwee then. <laughs> yeah. not, 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 not out, John. Which would you say you preferred out of those covers? I the audiobook or the initial novelisation or this uh, reprint? I prefer the reprint. I like seeing Hartnell. Yeah, it tells He's... you which Doctor it is. And also, with the original one, it kind of reminds me of... Do you remember when you know you were in primary school and you would get books that were basis basically for little kids to learn yeah. about the Egyptians? It reminds me of that cover. Not that I'm saying I, I don't like it. I like a kid's book now and again. Pop culturally, um, what have you listened to, uh, watched, recommend at the moment? Well, at the at the moment, I'm still getting through Vikings. Oh, how is it? It's seeing me through until Game of Thrones. 
very good show. I can see why it's the high rate, highest rated show on the History Channel. I didn't really know that much about the Vikings. I'd seen, obviously, the Kurt Douglas film. Was he 101? I think so. Probably come up to two now. Only 102 now. His wife's 99 as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm nearly through season four. got season five to finish. That's been my watching. Although, last night, I went to see... Ian McKellen live. How was Serena, as they call him, uh, the voice of Great Intelligence in the Snowman Christmas special? Um, yes, didn't mention that. He was basically talking about his life on stage. He starts the show obviously talking about Lord of the Rings. He recites part of it, you know, the great speech with the Balrog, you know, fly you fools, does that. Turns out, never read the book. Do you know what? I think I'd be very bizarre if I met him. I'd ask him to do what that impressionist did. And a few years ago was a viral video, which was to uh, speak out the words to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme tune. <laughs> what a playground was where I spent most of my days. He, w- he was very interesting. The show ran for about three hours and the Arts Council doesn't get enough money for yeah. all the shows. So every programme cost £10 and all of the money from the show, from the tickets, were going to whatever charity was in that particular city. In fact, the one... In Swansea was going towards Gay Pride. Okay. Um, so he was outside afterwards holding his bucket, taking photographs. Uh, I didn't have a pen on me, so I couldn't get him to ask him to sign my sign my program, but he did it. He was very kind and took a picture with me. That's the old Ian McNeese gambit. Did you hear them talk about that on Blah Wars? You know, Ian McNeese who played Churchill in Doctor Who and he was in uh, Ace Ventura 2. And he's also in Top Secret, the man who... Uh, <laughs> Sells the funny dog poo to uh, what? Omar Sharif. What funny dog poo? Yeah, that one. Yeah. Um, well, he's in Doc Martin, the uh, series over here, filmed in Cornwall. All right. And they said on Blah Wars, if you uh, if you go down on his days off down there, you'll sit in the local pub. You just got to drop a fiver or buy him a drink, and he'll uh, he'll sit and chat with you for five minutes. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I met him at Regeneration GS Swansea, and he's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. But at the time, I didn't realise he was in Ace Ventura too. I would have asked. Oh, Top Secret! I would have asked him about it. <laughs> oh, Top Secret! I'm surprised. You... Top Secret. I've got to be honest. Was probably my favourite Val Kilmer film. That yeah. or Real Genius. Everything after that, yeah. Very true, mate. Yeah, not quite as good as maybe his Airplane in terms of the Zucker hit rate for comedies. There's a excellent podcast called the Beta Max Video Pod, and they've done uh, they've done Airplane a review of it lately and that's just a fantastic listen and the guys on there they're about the same age as us and they say it's just still an amazing film if you watch it now the jokes just keep coming and every time you watch it these guys had watched it 20 or 30 times you're still noticing jokes for the first time right you've seen Top Secret quite a few times what's your favourite joke in that Uh, it's got to be the intruder I think because um that actor though, he's actually the, he's actually the he also plays the Colonel in Goldeneye, who first gets crushed by uh, Zenya on a top's leg. So uh, he's into those types of deaths on screen. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh, I've I've tried everyone. I've been to their consulate. I've been to the U.S. embassy. Yeah. I just don't know what I can do. I just can't bring my wife to all that. <laughs> I know I know that you know airplane gets much more even Naked Gun yeah. gets much more coverage than Top Secret but Top Secret is still for me the best of all of those films I like it when they're at the fancy Nazi dinner and she says I know a little German he's standing <laughs> over there that just cracks me up every time and Peter, that's one of Peter Cushing's last films isn't it that he's was, looking at the magnifying yeah. glass but his eye is actually massive 
Because Biggles, I think, was his last film. That was 1986. Because didn't he die in 93, 94? He must have been a fair old age when he yeah. was playing Van Helsing in the in the 50s. Okay, and there's a good uh, good reference to him coming, travelling forward in time with the Doctor to be in Rogue One in the uh, Day of the Doctor novelisation. So. Is there? So what about you? Flickering. What have you been watching, listening to? Well, Lee, we went to see Captain Marvel last weekend. And we did. I was very impressed. Wasn't sure going in, uh, just because I didn't know a lot about the character. You know, I've seen most of the Avengers films now, enjoyed most of them. And this is up there probably in the, just below the very top bracket of the ones, but I'd say just below maybe an 8.5 out of 10. Do you know the best thing about that? I completely forgot we went to see it. <laughs> it was that good. No, I, re- I really did enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I thought, like you said, when it first starts, I did think I'm not sure whether this where this is going anywhere. These are these quite one dimensional characters, but as the sh- as it went on, where spoilers, no, actually no spoilers. I'm not going to spoil for you. You know, the first twenty minutes where you see her on the Cree homeworld, I did think, is this going to be the one that's really you know the really bad? Is this going to take over from Iron Man three as being the worst Marvel yeah. film? But then by the end, I absolutely adored it. And did you like Guardians too? I really didn't like that one. Um, it wasn't as good as Guardians one. The Hasselhoff cameo was brilliant. Yeah, that was good. And um, Karen Gillan always good value at the end. Yes, the video, the seventies video, uh, disco video. Yeah, a nice little Doctor Who link there. Going completely off subject now, but still with another Disney-owned property and with Doctor Who. The announcement today that Matt Smith might not be in episode 9 do you think there's any truth to that or is it they're, ju- they're just trying to hide the fact that he is in it like Aid Edmondson did yeah I was going to mention Aid Edmondson who said on Twitter he hadn't heard anything a few years ago about him being in episode 8 and then he has a fabulous uh, scene stealing uh, appearance at the very start doesn't he on the, uh, the space battle mm. somebody posted up the other day about Star Wars episode 9 I'm going to be honest, I completely forgot that it was coming out. <laughs> because with episode seven, you know, you had the trailer the year before, and then there was this massive build-up over the year for it coming out. With episode eight, you had a couple of things, but with this, they're really keeping their cards close to their chest. I think they've got you, really, and they don't want anything getting out. I suppose it just depends on our generation we had. You know, we saw... In the trailer, anyway, we saw Harrison for the first time in 35 years. We saw Carrie for the first time in 35 years. Mark turned up at the end looking uh, like a bored tramp. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we kind of lost that in episode eight, didn't we? We knew Carrie had gone by then. Obviously, Han had gone. So I suppose this is the first one without any of the uh, characters of my mm. childhood. Although Carrie is in it just using deleted scenes from... Yeah. The other two films. But I'm really annoyed they killed Laura Dern because I thought she would have been a great stand-in. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'd agree with that. They, I'm sure they could have gone back and, and changed yeah. that. Seeing as uh, Carrie turned into Space Mary Poppins in that film. Yeah. Have you watched The Last Jedi again? I know you. I have, and I bought it on streaming with yeah. the extras, but I haven't watched. I probably won't watch it again until just before Nine comes out. I've watched it quite a few times. I did go back when there was um, certain copies online, folks. I did go back and watch the Yoda scenes just for the pure nostalgia gasm because I remember being in the cinema and thinking, this feels like 1980 again, this is awesome. I really liked The Last Jedi. I mean, I saw it twice in the first day. Yeah. I went back and watched it again and just thought, I actually don't like this. 
But I think it was having a bad day because I watched it again going, no, actually, this is awesome. Yeah, because I always go back thinking, now I've probably seen The Force Awakens enough, but I did end up watching it for the Blah Wars podcast watch-along when the ITV premiere was on over Christmas, and I really enjoyed it again then. Mm. Just made me remember this now. You know the end? You can remember the end of The Force Awakens, yeah? yeah. You remember when you see Luke? He yeah. takes his hood down in that very white robe. Yeah. Why is he wearing that white robe? It doesn't make any sense. That looks like it's, he's a he's a Jedi yeah. that's still doing Jedi stuff. Yeah. And then you get to the last Jedi, and he's not. He's just this mental bloke that's sucking on cows' teeth <laughs> and fishing in a really weird way. Dry cleaners, maybe on uh, Skellig Michael, whatever it's called in there. They must have very good cleaners because that was very. Oh, the other little people, didn't he? The yeah. little people looking after. What were they called? Not the porgs, the ones that yeah. Chewie was eating or was going to eat. He should have devoured them. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that's still, again, you you can see that. That, you know, they've gone from film to film to film. It's like, we're making this one film and then giving it to someone else. But instead of telling them where it's going to go. Yeah. I'm just going, I'll just do anything. Yeah. That's the only thing I didn't like was there's no overall arc. Yeah, because they said it'll be like another three years after the the original trilogy were more or less supposed to be set in real time between them, weren't they? Yeah. Empire would be three years after Jedi, so-so. But um, because people were presuming it was going to be like ten years after now because of the little kid at the end of episode eight. And I like J.J. Abrams as you know yeah. he is a modern day he's the I think he'll rescue it from certain fans point of view but is he gonna listen to some of the crying man babies and sort of cut back Kelly Marie Tran and maybe kill off Ray? what do you want I mean if with some of the like I'm, I'm a huge Star Wars fan you got Star Wars movies. That that was it. There's bits about it that I don't like, but there's bits in the originals that I don't like. What's your favourite of the original trilogy? It's quite easy to go to Empire in it and say it's yeah. a classic, but I'd say New Hope. Yep, I'm going to go with the New Hope. You know the end of uh, New Hope where Han says to Luke, "Hey Luke, yeah. may the Force be with you." Yeah. Every time he says that, I cringe at the TV because it just comes across as so hammy. It does, yeah. Um, I can't stand that bit. The prequels. Yeah. I've got a weird sort of love of the Phantom Menace. Yeah. I don't know why. It's not a good film, but it's a damn sight better than I think Attack it's of the, the Clones. Best of them. It's the best of them. Because at the time, I was so excited for Clones because you were going to see Yoda fight. Yeah. Came out of the uh, screening thinking, this is amazing. Some of the online reviews, like I think Kevin Smith said, this is the best since Empire when it first yeah. came out, didn't he? And he, he wouldn't say that now. No. Um, <laughs> that's the one that's aged the worst for me. Because like, the, the effects are like a PS2 game aren't they now yeah and they're, they're overly used that's too much use of CGI mm. right should we wrap this up and just carry on talk about <laughs> Star Wars then because um, so can I just also recommend uh, Amazon Prime is showing it The Greatest American Hero a superhero show from the 1980s uh, which you told me about and I still haven't got on to watching which I probably will three seasons I think mate I've got to the end of the first season only they apparently used to show I've done some research in our ITV on Saturday mornings in the mid 80s so that's I when really I, don't, I don't remember seeing it before. Fabulous theme tune. They were going to reboot it with a female lead, but now that's fallen through the networks. They made a pilot, but it didn't get uh, sold on for series. So recommend that one on Amazon Prime. And got to say, R.I.P. Jan Michael Vincent. What a great part of our childhood, mate. Yeah. I'll be honest, I did think he had already died. believe I saw him once at a convention. I didn't get his autograph, but I think that he was there. And he didn't look like he was long for this world. 
I had a lot of friends, uh, South Wales Coast in the surfing community, and he's quite well known before Airwolf for Big Wednesday. A brilliant film. Amazing film. I'm going to have to watch it again now in his honour, as they say. He had a hell of a life, didn't he? He lost a leg to yeah. uh, because of the alcohol issues and the diabetes. And he was still tweeting up to the day that he died. Apparently it's a parody account. A tweet came out in the day saying, this is bullshit, JMV doesn't die. Yeah. <laughs> Unless he is, uh, <laughs> that would be he is um, omnipotent. <laughs> that would be great. I mean, I'm still surprised at watching Airwolf for the first time. Yeah. Do you remember the fourth season when oh. he left and they kill off Ernest's character in the first episode? Ernest didn't come back for that season because it was cancelled by the main network and the Canadian TV took it over. So you can tell like the budget, it goes yeah. really, really cheap. You know, the acting is bad. Yeah. There's actually a Welsh guy called Garrett Davis who comes in just for the final season it's weird seeing the credits yeah. and you see Geraint Davis because I had a school friend called that <laughs> but um, and he's actually Swansea born actor who emigrated to the States or Canada yeah the first episode Jan Michael Vincent is in the first episode a stringer but then just disappears and uh, Barry Van Dyke who's Dick Van Dyke's son is the main star then he takes over with this Geraint Davis in the Ernest Borgnine role but Ernest Borgnine gets killed off by a, a bomb and a helicopter in the first episode you don't actually see him you see the female character yeah. who joined them in the earlier series, going into the offices, um, whatever airlines they were called, and then you just see stock footage of a guy dressed as Ernest Borgine getting in a helicopter and it blows up. <laughs> Can you imagine them doing yeah. that to a character like that nowadays? Because he was awesome. It's kind of like the um, Colin Baker not coming back. Yeah. yeah we're just going to just gonna book Sylvester in a wig. Don't look anything alike, but yeah, we'll go with that. Wavy face effects. Yeah. I actually watched... Do you remember the first episode where the guy's shooting the bullets out of the other guy's hand and he accidentally yeah. shoots him? I went to... There was like a second-hand video shop or yeah. that was just by there. Yeah. And I went in there and they had Airwolf. So I was like, oh, buy that. It's amazing. It's only a pound. Yeah. Put it in to watch. Didn't realise there was an 18 version of the pilot of Airwolf. No, I, I only realised myself as well, yeah. And there's a Blu-ray version in CEX. Cool. Yeah. Oh, it's top 10. Because I watch them all. Last yeah. year, I think, they were on TV. Did they age, age as badly as Street Hawk did? No, no. It was a lot more watchable Airwolf. It got a bit sort of silly, if you can call it silly, that sort of format anyway, towards the last few seasons, but um, still enjoyed it. Yeah, I might go back and watch it. I I loved Street Talk, and when it was, because what was it, 10 episodes? Yeah, something like that. I'm like, you start watching and going, this is all for... <laughs> um, the acting is really bad George Clooney how the hell did you get a career after this Daphne Ashbrook from the 96 uh, Doctor Who TV movie yeah she's amazing 10 though. years early that, that's the best episode when they're actually being chased through a film set it's a film within a film yeah. you know and they chase through was, the set was it Christopher Lloyd that was in the first episode the... I think so that rings a bell yeah man. who hadn't at that point would have been Doc Brown or just about to be oh, 83 I think Street Hawk yeah so just before he was known for Taxi then wasn't he he yeah. was in Taxi 78 to 82 84 yeah. a TV show if you reference now most people go what the guy Jim Carrey played um, Andy, Andy Kaufman yeah have you seen the documentary about the making of that um, where he just stays in character Mental, all the time yeah. and the guy nearly does break his neck Jerry Lawler yeah yep, wrestler does nearly break his neck because Jerry Lawler says in that that Andy Kaufman did it as an act yeah but Jim Carrey was like abusive to him for real, wasn't he? In character, so he snapped. <laughs> should we wrap up then? Yes. Uh, what should we do next time, mate? Any particular doctors you want to pick out of the air and do? Should we just move on one at a time. Go for a trouting. 
Yeah, we can find out a trout. Or we could just lose our minds and just go on, this week on the Doctor Who Target Files, Box of Delights. And don't forget, folks, we've got a new uh, Facebook page, Doctor Who, The Target Files. Yeah, at DW Target Files on Twitter. We have an Instagram page as well, Doctor Who, The Target Files. So please contact us there, folks. Please rate and review us uh, on iTunes. So thank you, faithful listeners. See you next time. Bye-bye. You can contact Doctor Who, The Target Files on Twitter at DW Target Files handle. Search Facebook for our new page, Doctor Who, The Target Files. Please do rate and review us on iTunes. The 13th Doctor theme cover was created by Borna Matosic. Please do check out his YouTube channel, B-O-R-N-A-M-A-T-O-S-I-C. Thank you so much for listening.